The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, thank you for this word from you, spoken by David, spoken truest of all by the king of David, and true for us now too because we are in him. This, this great reality that we have nothing to fear because of you, you for us, you over us, you reigning in us you welcoming us into your presence to dwell in your presence in your house all the days of our lives. True of David, true of the King of David, and true of us. Thank you. Will you press into us now as we look at this passage in the gospel? Will you press into us truths like this, truths related to this? Will you call us away from fear and call us into your presence and, and give us great hope and great even great confidence, as David writes. So speak now through your word. Spirit of God, have your way here in this room with us here. Control our hearts and minds and open up your word to us and teach. We look to you for that. Thankful that you've committed to build your church. So do that through your word now, we pray. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Son. Thank you, Spirit. Amen. To follow Jesus is to become a fisher of men. I've heard that phrase before. Jesus himself said it, Matthew chapter 4. And also, to follow Jesus is to become a laborer in the harvest field. Again, familiar, that's Jesus also, Matthew chapter 9. Which means that following Jesus, we are like sheep among wolves. Again, Jesus, last week, Matthew chapter 10. And that one, that's a little bit more unsettling if you think about sheep among wolves. Fishing for men, laboring in the harvest is like being sheep among wolves. Jesus said that and was very clear about it, very clear what he meant by that, that persecution will certainly come to us in this world as we labor in the harvest field. That's the truth. Not, not everybody everywhere, but... Most people, as they hear this message, this gospel, this good news about Jesus and his exclusivity and what it means for everybody in all of our lives, most people, as they hear that, will disagree, even strongly so. And trouble will come because of it. And that sober reality quite naturally leads us to today's passage and the topic of fear. Not just general fear, Although what's said here actually will, will actually help with any kind of fear that you might be facing in life. But, but this is fear in a context. This is, this is fear in the context of persecution. It's going to come in all sorts even now, and that might be fearful. And Jesus is going to speak to that to help us not to be controlled by fear. And of course, that's what he's getting at. He doesn't mean just the emotion. The emotion will arise. He means not to be controlled by it, ruled by it but instead to remain publicly faithful to him and his calling to bear witness to him in this fallen world. That's what we're going to look at today in Matthew chapter 10, 
verses 26 to 33. Let me read that passage, and then I'm going to draw out from it three observations, one each for the three times that he tells us not to fear. So this is Matthew 10, beginning of verse 26. Jesus says, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. And what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Matthew chapter 10. So three observations. Here's the first. Fear cannot be allowed to cover up what Christ tells us to declare. Fear cannot be allowed to cover up what Christ tells us to declare. Verse 26 says, Have no fear of them, that is, those who persecute you. It's going to happen, so don't be afraid. For, because, what follows is reason, is a reason to have no fear. But what we find here might be a little surprising, perhaps unexpected. Often when we hear Jesus say something like, have no fear, what we expect to follow is something of encouragement. Some sort of, some sort of uh, maybe almost a tender, a helpful, gracious, they're there, don't fear, it's going to be okay. And we expect that because Jesus does often do that. He often talks like that. And in fact, the, the next two points we're going to see are kind of like that. But this one's a little bit different. This first point's a little bit different. This is not encouragement as in the reason you don't need to be afraid is. Rather, this is a command. The reason you are not allowed to be afraid is. And this comes at us differently then. The reason you are not allowed to be afraid for, because, nothing is covered, kept discreetly out of view, by God. Nothing is covered that it is intended to remain covered forever, forever discreetly out of view. Nothing is hidden, for the moment, by God, that is intended to remain forever hidden. Everything that God temporarily, for the moment, for good reason, hides, will be revealed, will be made known. The truth, all of it, the entirety of God's plan and working will come out. Truth will be revealed through you, disciples. So you cannot be scared into silence. Let me say it again, verse 27. What I tell you in the dark, covered, hidden, say it in the light. See that? What I tell you in the dark, what I tell you in hiding, what I tell you in secret, say it in the light. 
What I whisper to you quietly, just the couple of us here, shout it from the rooftops of the entire town below. Do not fear them and keep all this just between the two of us, covered up, hidden. All of it's to be revealed eventually through you. Like what? Like what, what is Jesus talking about here? What, what does he mean? Well, what's currently covered, quietly hidden in the dark, talked about in the hush-hush way, what is that that's temporarily hidden now that Jesus has told them in, in the dark that he means to go public with? Many aspects of the true identity of Jesus and his mission. Just think of a few things here. Remember how he's willing to talk about the kingdom but doesn't yet want anybody to call him the Messiah? Remember how he's willing to talk about how he forgives sins, but is not willing to talk about the cross right now. A lot of these things he talks about in private or increasingly so as they move on towards the end, but he doesn't make them public yet. When blind men come to ask him to heal him and call him the son of David, a messianic title, what does he do? He takes them into the house privately before he deals with them. He only showed three disciples the fullness of his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. He only explains the parables to his disciples, content to let everybody else remain kind of in the dark. He has reason to hide things, reason to say things privately in secret, but he does not intend that they remain that way. I've told you these things in order for you to tell everyone else eventually. That's the plan. None of this that I'm telling to you, none of this that I'm showing to you is meant to remain a secret. You have to go public with all of this. But if you're afraid of them all, then you'll shrink back from and resist my sovereign will, my plan as to how this all works, and it will remain hidden. And that's wrong. Fear will lead you Fear often leads us. Fear will lead you into silence. Fear will lead you into not talking about this. Fear will lead you into the thwarting of God's plan, into disobedient resistance to his spreading of the message through you. So do not fear. That's a command. Do not fear. That's a command. Let that sit there for a second. Jesus is real clear here about this. Now he's going to give he's going to give help with this, but he's he's real clear about this. When it gets down to it at the very bottom, this whole section is full of hard stuff. Like if if you're here for the first time today, you might say, man, this is like really, I mean, talking about hell and people getting killed and this is hard stuff. It is hard stuff. We talked about this last week a little bit. When you get down to the bottom of this, Jesus is real clear. Do not fear them. That's an order. Follow me. And if you're afraid, you won't. And you're not allowed to. You're not allowed to not. Follow me. 
In other words, when I told you about being fishers of men, told you about laboring the harvest, that wasn't a suggestion or a job opportunity. It's an order. And don't fear, because that'll keep you from it. He's commanding here. This is hard. Now, the command, do not fear, is not the same command as be as out there and vocal and forthright and as provocative as you possibly can imagine being. Forget what I just said about being wise as serpents, discreet and wise and prudent, and grab the biggest megaphone you can find and climb up on a housetop or stand on the street corner and let her rip. That is not what it means to be fearless. It might be foolish. It might be completely counterproductive. That's not what he means by being fearless. What he's getting at here is that there, there is a way that we are, that are wisely sometimes silent, and there's a way that we can be fearfully silent. And the second one is wrong. I forbid it, he says. I'm telling you these things because they are meant to be public. What I say to you in the dark, I want you to announce in the light from the rooftops, being wise as serpents and also innocent as doves. The emotion of fear will arise in you and do not let it control you. you know, brave people are afraid also. Brave people just fearlessly step over their fear and move on into the job that they have to do. And what he's saying here is that I've given you a job that you have to do, an assignment, a calling. And if you're a Christian, you have a, a job in the harvest field that, um, that is about a message about one single way, me, Jesus, one single way that people can be saved, an, e an eternity that is real and is coming on like a freight train and people are not ready for. And my plan is that through you, I'm talking to them, do not stop up the plan. That's how it works. Through us, he makes that message known to the world. And he's determined to do it by his spirit, giving us all words to say in the context where we find ourselves. And that's a thousand different contexts. So don't misunderstand any of this to be trying to say that every single one of us is supposed to be some sort of a public preacher or some sort of a public apologist that you've, you've got to go out onto the street corner and do this or that. That's not most of us, probably. Maybe not even any of us here. That's not most of us. But we've got a thousand different contexts in which we are all called to be laborers in the harvest. All called to be about representing this Jesus, publicly standing with him and for him before other people all around. He's called us to that differently, but all of us laborers called to make him known. Do not let fear get in the way of that. That's my plan, and you're not allowed to say no. That's stiff. No doubt about it. And maybe as you evaluate yourself, you evaluate you, maybe there's some repentance in order. Maybe as you look back, there are some situations that come to mind where not just where you kept silent, but where you kept wrongly silent. Silence might be prudent, silence might be wise. But silence might be just fearful. Where you kept wrongly silent. 
Silence can be because of fear, and he commands us otherwise. So perhaps repentance is in order. You evaluate you. But there's something here that is, that is firm and clear. And Jesus, I once heard, I once heard a preacher talking about a conversation that he had with his son, who was also a preacher. And his son was complaining about the difficulties he was facing in some sort of a ministry thing and how hard it was and people weren't liking him and whatnot. And he called me, the guy said, he called me to talk about this and he was expecting me to say, they're there. And what I said to him, like what Jesus is saying to us is, what did you think the assignment was? What did you think the assignment was? I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. I'm not offering you the idea of, do you want to be a sheep among the wolves? I'm sending you out. This is the place he begins with the topic of fear, saying, do not. not don't feel the emotion. Don't be controlled by it. That's hard. And maybe at the beginning, maybe repentance is in, in order. And we need to start there and let that sit and be honest about it. And then, one of the things that I so deeply appreciate about the God who is real, the God of the Bible, is that the God who is real reigns and is not afraid to tell us what to do. He's God. And he's also a gracious and tender father shepherd. And he knows we are frail and weak. And so when he tells us what to do, he also says, and let me help you with that. Let me help you with that. I've got some things that I can say that I can bring to the table that can point out that, that will help you with that. This is no less, it is never less the command. Kindly, this is the God who is real. Kindly, the God who is real is not only a commanding God, he is also a helping and shepherding God. And the next two points, he brings them out to us. Jesus brings them out to us to say, here's the command. Let me remind you of some things. Let me point you at some things that will help you keep the command, that will help you step over your fear into what I've called you to. And that brings us to the second observation. As you repent and as you think about how fear has controlled you, also hear this. Fear can only be, but can be. Fear can only be, but can be. Finally conquered by clinging to an eternal perspective. Fear can only be, but can be. Finally conquered by clinging to an eternal perspective. Not by simply hearing a command, don't fear them, and saying like, okay. And like sucking it up and resolving. And certainly not by throwing some sort of a guilt trip at you and either yourself or hearing some preacher like throw some guilt trip at you. And so you've got to kind of, nope, that's, that's not what fixes it. And we should be honest also, there's a lot to be afraid of. There's a lot that's going to be scary, that's frightening out here. People who are strongly against the Christian message, who are strongly against Christ, are therefore, as he just said, going to be strongly against the people of Christ. 
And they can do a lot of awful things. That can't happen. Scorn and insult and imprisonment and beating and even death sometimes. He said just as much last week and he repeats it again. None of that's here, not all those extremes are here in our country right now. By the grace of God, I mean, that's, that's a blessing. But those things are all realities in other parts of the world and always have been realities. And he straight up acknowledges the same. People can and will kill the body. They'll laugh at you on one end and they'll kill you on the other. Not easy, but true. Thousands of times over all around the world. They can and will kill the body. They can destroy your outer person, he says in verse 28, but they cannot kill the soul. They cannot touch it. God can, and God alone can, outer and inner man both, the inner person, both are equally in his hand, the outer and the inner both. And when man kills the body, that's the end of what man can do. But that's just the beginning of what God can do. He can destroy for eternity in hell, the soul. In the fire that never ends, in the judgment and wrath that never ends. And so the anguish and the sorrow and the rage and the sense of despair and separation and loss never ends. So we must say that so carefully and soberly because it is so terrible. It is true and right and just, but it is terrible. After death, the real destruction begins. Or the real reward begins. The body dies and then eternity begins, either under judgment or under delightful, joyful reward. Verse 28 doesn't talk about that. Verse 28 is still Jesus being very clearly firm, but 32 does. 32 talks about the reward. Acknowledged before the Father. Jesus says of us, of we who do not let fear of man and fear of loss of this earth control us, and drive us into disavowal, denial of him, but, but instead who hold to him, cling to him in faith. Jesus says of such ones that on that day he will say, that one right there, mine. That one, not that one, that one is mine. And he will own you. I know her, she's with me, Father. Come on, come on. I have an inheritance that I have been keeping safe for you. I, need, I want to show it to you. You're going to like this. It is glorious. Come. I know her. She's with me. He will acknowledge you before the Father on that day. And eternal, everlasting, never-ending, unmeasurable grace upon grace upon grace will be poured onto you, that one on that day. 
acknowledged by the Father, to the Father, by the Son, who was dead and is alive and is with you now and you with him never to perish. That all is real and we take it all in and should focus carefully as we do so on what exactly Jesus says here. When he pits the fear of God against the fear of man, what exactly he's saying here. This might seem like I'm splitting hairs, but, I, but I'm not, I don't think. He's not only pointing out, God can hurt you more, so fear him. That is, be controlled by him. Have your vision fixed by him. Live in relation to him, controlled by him. Fear him. He's not only saying, God can hurt you more, so fear him. Though that's true. And he's not only saying, God can bless you more, so fear him. Be controlled by him, direct by him, have your vision captured by him and live for him. That's also true, but not exactly the emphasis. He's not merely emphasizing how much God can impact us. But in fact, where he can impact us. He can destroy the inside, the soul, not just the outer casing. He can destroy in eternity, in hell, not just in temporary earth. Or, conversely, he can bless the soul, not just make the body feel good. And he can bless into eternity forever in heaven, not just for a few years here on earth. He's mainly talking about not just that he can more, but where he can. He can touch our souls, the inside of us, into eternity. And that question about those places, the soul and eternity, that question is far, far, far more important than the body for a moment here. Everything that happens here and now is light and momentary. By comparison, everything that happens here, light and momentary affliction of the outer. If you're a Christian, that's not news to you. You've heard that before. You even know the verse that I'm alluding to in Corinthians. You also know that living with eternal perspective is extremely important. It's called for often in the scriptures. But do you see how this is the key to finally conquering the controlling, intimidating fear of people and persecution? This realizing where God touches us, what God holds in his hands, and this lifting up of our hearts to see the importance of the spiritual and the importance of eternity contra the importance of the body temporarily. This is the key to realize that persecution is actually powerless. To get that up here, I'm not saying this is easy, and I'm certainly not saying that I finished this, that I, that I get this all perfectly myself, but this, but this is important. This is what is finally able to drive a stake into the fear of man to realize this is temporary and therefore cannot actually touch you in what matters. 
This is the vision that must grip us, that we must ask God by his spirit to pour into our hearts and minds and to fill the windshield of life as we step forward into the lunchroom full of 15 kids who are going to go really south on you as soon as you mention Jesus or to step into the, into the, the break room and, and 15 employees and, or your boss are right there and they're going to go really south on you as soon as you mention Jesus. What must, must, Christian, what must control you is the realization of they can't touch me. Not really. They can't touch me. They can't. So it's not, God, would you give me a spirit of fearlessness? It's, God, would you give me eyes that see eternity? God, would you give me eyes that see the importance of the soul, the importance of the spiritual realm, and that on into age upon age upon age? Would you give me eyes to see people in front of me who hate me, who are throwing rocks at me, who are jeering me, and who are perishing Give me eyes to see that. Give me a view of the importance of the spiritual realm and of all eternity to hold on to that here. Now is the key to being set free from being controlled by fear. To realize that all the world can take away from you is going to be gone anyway. And if the world can't give you anything that lasts... Chances are, odds are, if you're afraid, you're afraid of losing something in which you find your life. And that's the problem. They can take from you your reputation, your money, your house, your body. And the key, the key to all of it is to say, so what? This is at the heart when the apostles, the apostles got this and they stood before the Sanhedrin in Acts 4 telling them, we told you to not mention Jesus. And they say, well, I mean, they just killed Jesus. They just killed Jesus. They're really aware of what the stakes are here. And then they say, hey, you judge for yourself whether we're supposed to obey you or God. They got a vision of something bigger. A vision of something bigger. It is said of horses, I'm not a horseman, I don't know, it is said of horses that wherever you look, the horse goes. That if you look this way, the horse fears that way. That's true of people too. Wherever we look, we go. Whatever controls our vision, we veer towards that. Whatever, whatever we are looking at, we steer that way. God, give me a vision of eternity. God, give me an eternal perspective. That's not just appropriate, it's necessary if I'm going to obey the command to not fear what's going on here. Help me to let go of the stuff on earth and to see that what they can take from me does not compare to what you can give me. Eternal perspective it's what lies beneath killing fear. Lord, help me to value this stuff here less and what you're bringing to me more. Help me to live with one foot in this world because there's still a calling and a job to do, but one foot actually in heaven already. Looking that way, drawn that way. That's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. 
But we're fooling ourselves if we think we can fight against fear with an earthly perspective. It only comes with an eternal perspective. Fear God. Be controlled by God because of where he can touch you. The blessing the soul forever in heaven. Eternal perspective. And finally, fear person persecution is, is killed by eternal perspective, but it is undercut. Fear of persecution is undercut by knowledge of your father's providence. Fear of persecution is undercut by knowledge of your father's providence. Jesus is a genius teacher. He gives us a command. He's going to try to help us keep that command. The first thing he does is say, look up. And the second thing he does is say, but don't only think about up because I've also got this under my control too, the here and the now. Providence. Verse 29, he moves to help us fight this fear in another way. He mentions sparrows, sold two for a penny, extremely cheap source of just a little bit of food. Not much meat on a sparrow. And Jesus brings them up because of how very small and very insignificant they were. Practically nothing. And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Here is what is theologically known as the doctrine of providence. God's providence is God working out his plans and purposes through the ordinary workings of secondary agents. It's providence. It's the opposite of miracles, which is God working out his purposes through the non-ordinary workings, the suspension of the ordinary. But 99.9999% of the time, God works and controls all the things of the world through the doctrine of providence, working out his plans and purposes through the ordinary workings of secondary agents. Agents like weather or hawks or human hunters, all of which might cause a sparrow to fall. Drought comes, a storm, cold snap. Hawk swoops in, hunter lays out a net. and One way or another, a sparrow falls because of that, but none of that happened apart from God. All of those actors were acting like they act, their ordinary ways, but God actually was through it all accomplishing his purposes. They were doing what they planned, but actually God accomplished his plan for the hawk and for the people who hunted and made some money off the selling and the people who ate. It's all God's providence. But Jesus doesn't just say God's providence. He says, apart from your father. Because he wants to remind us of something here. This is, an, is not an, some abstract concept of God and some dry doctrine of providence with a definition that you write down and then you know it. It's your father. He's not the father of everybody on earth, not in this sense. He's the father of those who are in Christ, us Christians, those who have trusted him. He's made himself known to you as your father. He is yours 
He is personal and near to you and aware and caring. He's the leader and provider and protector of you. Your father. He's counted every single hair on your head. Which isn't about numerical knowledge. It's about exercising dominion. In the Bible, when a person names or counts or measures, it's exercising dominion over something. In other words, your father, your father is not just a big picture sort of guy. The generalities he's got. He actually is in all of the minutiae even knows the stuff and is aware of and reigning over the stuff that we are completely unaware of, like hair. He knows it all and is in it all. His providence is very specific. And if his eye is on the little bitty insignificant sparrow governing all the details of that little thing's life, then surely, surely your father's eye is on you in all the little details. Every single little thing. You are of infinitely greater value than the sparrows, so of course. You see how this sets opposite to the, the point right before it? The point right before it is up at heaven and on into eternity. And this one is down into the details of what exactly that, not 15 kids, kid number three who looked at you in a certain way, that right there counted under the hand of God. That didn't happen apart from him, which means he's in it doing something. He's accomplishing his purposes for that kid, for all the other ones who are watching, for you. What's he doing in all that? I don't really know. Sometimes we might see some of the things he's doing in it. Sometimes we might, we might be aware of some of the ways that he's using this to to make himself known or to win other people to him or to mature you and grow up your faith, which is of greater worth than gold. Think about that context of 1 Peter 1. That's in a context of trouble in life. Maybe he's doing that in you and that in the one who's watching and that in the third kid over from the left who looked at you that way. Who knows? But it's all under his hand. There's nothing rogue going on here that's going to afflict you and, and take you off into some way where he doesn't have you anymore and isn't in all things accomplishing good for you here and now. But even if we never know what it's accomplishing here, we are told just enough to know that it's accomplishing God's good for us here and it is reaching on into eternity past the momentary and temporary and it is attaining for us. Attaining for us. A treasure in heaven that is of great value. Paul taught that. You know the passage. These things that are light and momentary. But we can't see, but we look past what is seen to the unseen. We keep the second point in mind that eternity is coming and in one way or another, he is at work in this as I hold on to him in faith and not shrink away and fall away in fear. As I hold on to him in faith in some way or another, he is using this, it is attacking 
obtaining for you, Christian, some sort of reward. Unless we turn away. The passage ends, again, hard. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. That's a real warning. That reminds us of where he started with the command. So hear that and let it sit. But I imagine that most of us here this morning, we need to hear that and remember the example of Peter. Why Peter? Well, what happened to Peter? Peter was here. Peter heard this. Peter walked with Jesus for years. And then, of course, three times said, Jesus, I don't even know who you're talking about. Right? So what, did Jesus deny him before his father in heaven? No. So we need to hear the warning and realize that what Jesus is actually talking about is something that is of resolve, a setting aside no. But every single one of us have done this, have denied him, have turned away, have been fearful and silenced, every single one of us. There's only one person who never was silenced, who in perfect faithfulness always publicly acknowledged God and made known everything that he was supposed to make known. Jesus. I heard somebody say it. <laughs> Only one. And knew that in the providence of God he was being given over to people who were going to kill his body. And he also knew that the whole point of this is because my people are going to prove faithless, but I need to remain faithful to them. To redeem them and save them. Here at the end, there's there's Actually, in the warning, there's, there's a reminder. Come back. When you, not if, when you in fear are silenced and you shrink away, come back. To stay permanently away, to be one who denies, who, who rejects him permanently, there, there is no hope in that. Verse 33 is clear. But we remember the example of everybody else except Jesus. Said, I, I see that. I understand the command. I see where I've fallen. Lord, help me. Would you remind me of what's true? Would you remind me of your, of your eternal perspective and of your, of your present earthly care for me? And will you forgive me? And the good news is that, yeah, that's why I went to the cross. Of course I will. Come, let me work in you. Let me remind you of these things that are true and grow you. The gospel is good news for us who are failures. In other words, all of us. Being reminded of what he commands us to, of where we're going and of his present care for us, that's, that's the path to faithful public acknowledgement of Jesus. It's how we fight against fear.
So entrust yourself to him and, and fear him and don't have any fear of the people in this world. Let me pray. Father, will you help us? Will you help us with the command and will you help us with the helps of the command? Will you give us eyes that see eternity and that value our souls more than our bodily comfort? I pray that for me and for all of us. Can you give us an awareness, a, a, a keen, present tense, constant awareness that you're in every detail, that you're controlling every single thing, that nothing is happening apart from you. You're doing good for us now and on into eternity, even if we don't see how. Remind us of those things, Lord. Help us to keep the command and then where we see we fall and lead us into repentance and restoration. Thank you that that is open. Thank you that Jesus perfectly kept your law, atones for our sin, and can forgive. Thank you. So build your church here now, Lord. Help us to deal with fear and to be faithful witnesses to you. Put ourselves in your hands. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.